So once again, welcome everyone. It's uh, such a delight to be back and to see new faces and familiar faces and this space that we create together of our uh, community here, our Sangha. And I'm just returning from being in Massachusetts. I was teaching a three-week silent meditation retreat at a center called Insight Meditation Society. And it was their first in-person retreat. And it was so special. One, uh, really touched by the staff and the organization for going through the challenges of you know, dealing with a pandemic, <laughs> figuring out how to do that with 70 people in a safe way. So it was quite a journey. And also, it, you know, it was so touching to support all of these practitioners that I know have felt the power and benefits of this path and this practice and to take kind of a, a deeper dive to devote more time just to being in silence and, and meditating. And similarly, I want to say I did have a similar feeling this evening reflecting on being together with all of you, because I, I am touched, you know, for many of you, I know you've come here again and again and again. And I know for at least some of you coming again and again, it's because you've been moved by this path and practice in some way that might be unique to you, but it's touched your heart in some way. You've probably tasted some kind of freedom from this, or you wouldn't be coming back again and again. And those for you who are new to this this community it might be something similar for you or a curiosity of like what is this about is this something that resonates for me or not and and i begin there because i for me it really does feel like this path and practice it opens this doorway it opens a doorway into a different way of being in the world like when i have those glimpses of that it, it means so much to me and I think it's significant for the world that we live in. It changes people's lives. And also maybe on a simple thing, it's just nice to come together to, to see all of you. Tonight, what I'd like to do is I would like to share with you some reflections about how to kind of utilize our spiritual practice or intertwine our spiritual practice in the midst of this upcoming holiday season and about how to navigate the holiday season. You, you probably know what I'm talking about, right? The, the ups and downs that you experience individually around the holiday season, these ups and downs that we experience probably individually, the joys and sorrows, the sweet connections that can happen around the holiday, holidays and the conflicts that arise. Just when I use that word already, kind of it lines up the conflicts that have happened in those past holiday seasons. And it brings a kind of even nervousness into my system around there can be a charge there because the holiday season can contain so much for us. And the surprises and disappointments. Can you relate to this? Whether it's the excitement and joy of getting together with friends and family. But also, maybe some of you have experienced this, I know I have, is that sometimes when there's this kind of this such a narrative around joy and 
a meaningful time, it can cue up loss, like loss of loved ones. Sometimes where my heart goes is who's not here in those times with that person. So holiday season can, can contain also the pain and hurt in this way. Or with so much cheer, or at least the narrative of cheer around that, it can also hook into feelings of loneliness and heaviness. So I just want to name that, to acknowledge that, that this, this is the holiday season, the complexity that I want to share just in terms of sometimes our emotional lives, our, our lives in terms of the thinking process that's there. It's not only that, even around the prep, have you noticed this? The, the sometimes the feeling of stress and pressure to make that holiday meal or to make that holiday gathering to be the best possible one for whatever, whatever it is, your kids, your family, your friends, your colleagues. And then sometimes the financial stress that comes with holidays. Being in recovery, wanting to hang out with friends, knowing that there's going to be alcohol there, right? The, the unspoken stress sometimes because of how we are situated to the dominant crowd. So we have this idea of holiday season, but it's, it can be tough and yeah, joyful, but also tough. And I left out the obvious, didn't I? We're still in the middle of a pandemic, right? <laughs> so this adds to it. Holidays, I, I, I hopefully you're hearing with this list, it, it evokes, it can evoke a whole conglomeration of these habitual mind states, emotions and moods. Complex, challenging. It's so great for practice, don't you think? <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, this is like great. This is like spiritual practice time. It's perfect. I also want to acknowledge the kind of the systemic or collective dimension around some of these holidays. Like I want to point out in a few days here, you know, cur currently in this place we call the United States, people will be celebrated, celebrating, maybe you too will be a complicated holiday right? on Thursday, which in one way celebrates this beautiful quality of gratitude, which is part of our spiritual practice. And at the same time, it's a holiday that has also been so harmful since it glosses over and sanitizes this nation's history of the brutal colonization of the indigenous peoples of this land. That's why this coming Thursday is also designated as a national day of mourning. And this national day of mourning, it became, it started in 1970. And its intention was to bring attention to the history of colonization, as well as attention to the continued oppression of indigenous peoples around the world. It's a, it's a gathering that happens at Plymouth Rock near there to help remind us. So again, it's, it's complicated individually, emotionally, 
the thoughts that arise. It's complicated in terms of the holidays themselves, Thanksgiving, gratitude, the attempted erasure of the brutality of colonization. So how to navigate these vicissitudes of life, the joys and sorrows that come with this season, whether it be individual or collective, how to do it skillfully with what I'd call heartfulness rather than unskillfully and unwisely reacting or getting lost, getting entangled in that anxiety, the fear, the frustration, the depression. And I want to point out, this is what this path is about, isn't it? So I can free my heart and mind from that. It's such a gift I find for myself and for those around me. So that I can taste, we can taste a deeper, more kind and compassionate and wise way to live. We still got this question, how? Am I gonna elude that answer for just a few more minutes here? There's a, there's a discourse uh, by the Buddha where um, the dis these discourses are kind of the earliest strata of literature in Buddhism. And in, in one of them, Saka, who's this ruler of the gods, kind of beams down to the Buddha and basically asks him, so please, please tell me, how does one completely free this heart and mind? How do you do that? And Saka basically says, and could you give me the short answer? I don't want the long answer. I want it in brief. <laughs> give me the short answer. <laughs> Venerable sir. <laughs> and the Buddha does this. He, he, it's really quite concise. He, he basically, I'm paraphrasing the Buddha here, but basically the, the languaging is uh, how to do this, how to become free is just um, to realize that nothing whatsoever is to be clung to. This is so much the heart of this practice. Not clinging to anything. Or the word that I like is not to get entangled. And if you find the mind entangled, to let go. So what does the Buddha mean by this word clinging or this word I'm using entanglement? I'm just referring back to what I was talking about, those unskillful ways of your heart and mind that especially get evoked when there's stress, when there's more complications in our life. It's the continually judging ourselves, berating ourselves, that passive aggressive comment to the other person. Or it could be even oppositely, not saying something to that family or friend because of fear of conflict. All those examples, do you hear the tangle there? There's a, there's a being in contention with experience rather than being able to skillfully respond. I know this feeling. And maybe when I mention it, you know that feeling too. You know that you can have a sense of it in your body when you feel off in some kind of manner. This is being entangled. This is clinging. And this is the, the concise thing is, oh, here's the answer is how do, I, how do I cultivate the skill, the wisdom, so that I don't get entangled? Or you could say it's a 
famous phrase from the discourses, how to untangle the tangle in your life. And I want to keep it super simple tonight or this morning, wherever you are. And to bring it down to one word, which is the one word of pause. And the reason I want to bring it down to one word is that when I need to remember only one word, it's a lot easier to evoke that, especially in difficult situations. If I remind myself, Brian, just pause. And this is what I invite you to do for the holiday season. This is an invitation. What would it be like until maybe we make it through New Year? What would it be like to use this one word? I, I, I feel like I can guarantee like it's going to be a different holiday season internally, how you relate to the things that are getting evoked by really using that. And to keep it that simple, because often what's powerful is the simplicity. Because it can get complicated, right? I need to be mindful, but then I need a little bit of loving kindness. So it'd be good to have some self-compassion, samadhi, a little bit of concentration, right? Joy, just the right amounts, not too much. Maybe some appreciative joy, right? And the list go on, right? <laughs> need wisdom and faith and whew, it's exhausting. It's just trying to try to remember all those words. One word, pause. Because it, it helps. It's like it, when I remember to pause, it's like I can step out, even if it's for a few seconds of the momentum of the thoughts and emotions and sensations, that when, when those emotions, thoughts, and sensations are left unchecked, they lead to unskillful things. They lead to that unskillful thing I might say, or that unskillful action I might do. And when I say that unskillful thing that I might say, it might be something that I unskillfully say to myself, something that I unskillfully do to myself. Or it might be the unskillful way I might not say something. When, when that situation calls for is something to be said or I might not do something when what the situation calls for is something to be done, right? I'm stuck, I'm hooked. And the pause, right, just that space, it allows for a different direction. Simplicity, just a pause. Because right, if you notice what you discover in the pause, like if I were to invite you to pause right now, you might notice there's, you discover the quality of presence, of awareness, of mindfulness. So when I invite you to pause right now, maybe you simply feel the body in whatever posture it's in. Doesn't have to be precise. It's kind of like, oh, there, there's the body here. Oh, here it is. Or maybe you feel a little bit of the breath. 
or in this pause, you might begin to hear the sound of my voice, how it arises and passes away. There's a sound and then it disappears. And do you notice when you pause with sound like that, that's different than just understanding the content of what I'm saying. There's a quality of presence there with the activity of hearing. It's the slight turn into noticing, into observing experience, right? with a kind of non-judgmental, kind of steady quality of heart. And just in the pause, I gain, begin to get, gain the skill of noticing emotions and thoughts and sensations without getting as lost in them. And I want to point out, it doesn't mean the world disappears with pausing. Rather, we come to it in a different way. It, it does open up something different. It's a kind of, for me, a secret doorway. It reminds me, uh, this a number of years ago, I don't know if anybody's been to Santa Fe to this art complex called Meow Wolf. Anybody seen Meow Wolf? So cool. <laughs> It's a, it's this art complex that's, it's this massive art installation and it's very interactive and exploratory. I think over a hundred artists created it. I think it still might be in the making. When I was there, they were doing all kinds of things still. And it's this 20,000 square foot building with, I'll just say all kinds of things in it. I just want to mention one because I don't want to know too much. There's these like secret doors. I think one is like you open up the refrigerator in this kind of thing that looks like a house. And when you open the refrigerator, it's actually a doorway into another, another room, into another world. It's so cool. Pausing feels like that to me. It's like, it feels like I'm, I'm trapped. I, there's no doorways anywhere. And then like, I open up the refrigerator door and there it is, like there's something opens. And when I say something opens with the pause, I'm not saying that things are going to get better or more pleasant. It's like there's more space. And this is important because sometimes I want to pause because I want it to feel better. It's different to pause because I want to be present. So to get a sense of that. It gives just a space to step out of the compulsions and obsessions, to be in the middle of it, to allow something different to arise. And to patiently pause. I said there was going to be one word. I guess there's two words now. <laughs> you can bring it back to one word, but hopefully it'll, it'll make the, the pause richer this way. I think there's a quality of patience in a particular way, or particular ways in this kind of pause. And to exemplify this, I want to share with you this great poem. I love this poem. It's uh, called The Patience of Ordinary Things by Pat Schneider. So the poem begins, it is a kind of love, is it not? how the cup holds the tea, how the chair stands sturdy and foursquare, 
how the floor receives the bottom of shoes or toes. How soles of feet know where they're supposed to be. I've been thinking about the patience of ordinary things. How clothes wait respectively in closets and soap dries quietly in the dish and towels drink the wet from the skin of the back. And the lovely repetition of stairs. And what is more generous than a window? I find those striking images. And again, it is a kind of love, is it not? How the cup holds the tea, how the chair stands sturdy in foursquare, how the floor receives the bottom of shoes or toes, how soles of feet know where they're supposed to be. I've been thinking about the patience of ordinary things, how clothes wait respectively in closets and soap dries quietly in the dish and towels drink the wet from the skin of the back and the lovely repetition of stairs. And what is more generous than a window? Do you get a feeling from that? Like for me, what it brings to the pause, like how a cup holds tea, there's like a, a stable, steady receiving or the towel Right, that softening of receiving and taking care in a way that can go unnoticed. And I don't mean to point to inaction, but rather stability, a stability of the heart. Can that be the aspiration that you bring to pausing? Oh, may I feel some modicum of stability of the heart, like the, the chair. So a stability in living, not being an object, but in living in a different way. And this pause with practice, and some of you know what I'm talking about here. It feels like, doesn't it, like it's deep within our experience, maybe the deepest part of our experience. Have you tasted that part of the pause, that part of presence of mindfulness? It's almost like a, a protective fundamental home of ours. It's interesting, in, in one discourse, the Buddha calls mindfulness your ancestral home or ancestral territory. Or it could be the home of all the previous practitioners of this tradition. It can feel like that, doesn't it? A true home. Sometimes it's translated as one's native land where we belong there. It's supported 
by the wisdom of our ancestors. And it's home. It's protective. It protects our heart from unskillful things. I, I find that phrase so evocative. And so when we begin to meditate here in just a, a few minutes together, I want to point out really one way of seeing meditation and to maybe take this up for this evening or this morning is, is that all we're doing in the meditation is practicing pausing. And sometimes there's maybe a long pause. But if there's not a long pause, it's okay, right? Because then you just have lots of opportunities to pause. The mind's wandering a lot. Oh, great. Just pause again. Notice what's going on. And again, to be at ease with that. To get a feeling, oh, this is a training, a training for the holiday season, <laughs> those situations. <laughs> so we can practice where it's easy and then bring it into where it's difficult. So may you have many moments of pausing during this holiday season. Thank you. Thank you for your attention.